Welcome to the Midlife Career Rebel, the podcast created for high-achieving professional women to gain the clarity, confidence, and courage they need to go after and get the life and career they want. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Parker-Walsh, lawyer, social scientist, brand strategist, executive coach, entrepreneur, and midlife career rebel. Each week, you'll learn strategies to manage your mind, navigate the challenges of midlife, and take control of your career so you can thrive doing the work you love. So if you're ready to tear up that rule book and create your own, you're in the right place. And I can't wait to show you how. Hey, 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 Rebels. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am really fired up today because we have an extra special guest in the house who is going to not only talk about her work um, in the world, in the employment space, but also her life, her experience, and the contributions that she makes and, and the work that she does to help so many other women um, who are along the path in their lives and careers. So today we have Maricela Herrera. She is the CEO of Elevate Network, the largest community for women plus at work focused on creating a culture of equity and inclusion in business. And she oversees the overall business operations, growth and strategy, and works closely with the chapter leaders and champions to really further the impact. Now, she has been a strategic executive for over 15 years with experience in building and scaling teams. Um, she has uh, mobilized um, a women's summit. She is a host of a podcast, um, particularly the one for Elevate Network. And prior to that, she's held several positions in real estate banking in Mexico, actually. She's worked in, in, in and out of the country. So this is a global thought leader and champion. And so we're going to hear our firsthand experience of not only how she came into this world of work, but also how she navigates it and helps so many other people do the same. And with that, Maricela, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I so appreciate it. So let's start with the the most obvious. Tell me a little bit about Elevate and Elevate Network and what it's about and um, why you're a part of it and running it and what it does and the impact it makes for so many other women in the world. Sure. So Elevate Network, like you said, is the largest community of women plus at work. And um, I'm going to start with kind of talking about the term women plus and why we use it. Mm -hmm. Elevate started 20 plus years ago. And at that point, it was a it was actually called 85 Broads. It was, it came out of women who worked at Goldman Sachs and Goldman Sachs old address back in the nineties was 85 Broad Street in New York. Mm. So it was a little play in the name. It started basically, let's keep women who work there together. And it's kept expanding in the last few years. What we've been looking at and how the world has been changing is if we want to make a world where there is gender equity, it can't be just women. So for us, women plus, that term relates to women, non-binary individuals, anyone who feels underrepresented because of their gender identity. And it also includes men who believe in the in the importance of gender equity, because that's the only way we're gonna do it is if we all work together. So that's why uh, we've transitioned into this term women plus uh, that is more 
all encompassing and more inclusive. Uh, what we do, we, yeah, thank you. Um, we, we create spaces where you can come and be honest about work. So, you know, it started, like I said, back in the day as a way of, can we get more women together to get more women in positions of power and leadership? How do we support each other? The good old boys network exists. It has always existed. Can we create this good old girls network? And what we realized as the passing of time is with, as we come together, there is a need for us to be able to not just share opportunities with each other, but also can we feel seen? Do you feel like you belong? There is a very big, I would call it an epidemic, honestly, of loneliness, particularly at work. And that, and we see a lot of people, particularly women and minorities saying, you know, leaving their jobs because they don't feel like they can be themselves because they don't feel like they belong because the policies within that workplace aren't meant for them. And so with Elevate, we have almost like this place where you can come in and recharge, where you can hear others that have been in your shoes that have can give you advice on how to deal with, you know, how to be more visible at work or how do you deal with the microaggressions? How do you actually make this manager support you? Or how do you even yourself be a better manager to the people around you? And so when you can come together and have these very open, very candid discussions, and then take what you learn, build up that confidence and bring back that, bring that back into your place of work. And instead of saying, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm tapping out, I'm going to go try and build a business and We've heard that a lot. I actually, someone told me today that about 30% of the people who are leaving or being laid off are thinking of starting their own business because they're tapped out. Like it's mm -hmm. the, the world of work isn't working for us. And this is usually women and minorities. Mm -hmm. So we, we're not going to make a change in the business culture if we don't start by having this confidence, this feeling of not being alone, if you can come back into the work world of work and be, hey, no, I'm not going to take this. I'm not necessarily going to go and start my own thing, but I can make change with the power that I have, that sometimes we don't, we don't realize that we have that power. So Elevate is a place where you can facilitate that, where you can build that up so that then together, and that's the whole beauty of having a network with great power comes great responsibility and with a collective, uh, collective voices, you can make change. Can mm -hmm. we influence then policy, policies within workplaces? Can we influence the culture of business as we come together? That is so powerful. I mean, and, and I mean, you said so much here that I just want to make sure it gets really picked up. I mean, first of all, I love that you opened it up with why you use women, women plus as a terminology, because I agree, you know, it's, it is, for so many years when we've talked about diversity and inclusion or any of that type of work, it's always been put on the backs of those who are in the minority or those yep. who are in the oppressive group to kind of figure it out, fix it and deal with it. But it's not just a problem of 
um, underrepresented women or, you know, minority women or, or the people who are in that minority or underrepresented category. It is all of our concern and issue. And there's been so many studies and research that shows the impact of organizations that include women in leadership and women of, and women of color or non-binary or others in positions of authority. There's greater innovation. There's greater retention. I mean, it's crazy that the data reveals the importance of all of us making this a conversation, um, but how still it, it feels like it's still left to those in those marginalized populations to do to be the voice and to to speak on behalf. So um, so I love that you said men too, you know, and not just allies, but those who want to be accomplices and those who really want to join hands to make change and make a difference. Absolutely. So I, I just I wanted to highlight that too, because I think that is so powerful and so necessary um, in this work that we have to remember that it's not just the one side, it's all sides that need to yeah. be involved in this conversation. And thank you for saying accomplices, because I, I, I don't really like to use the term ally. Um, mm-hmm. We use it because I think that's what people understand the most, but it's more more than just allyship. You have to stand totally. with the people there the, and make change together. So it can't just be saying like, hey, I'll, yeah, sure, I'll support you. It is, do you have their backs when they're not in the room? Are you representing with your social, political, economic capital for these groups that need that? Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, no, I love that. And then you talked about too creating space, which I also think is very powerful as well, because this idea of feeling heard and feeling safe to speak your truth, I think is also incredibly necessary and powerful um, for so many people who have felt gaslighted or, or, um, ignored or have internalized, you know, so much that has happened to the point that they think, well, maybe it's me and it's not, you know, these other external factors that are impacting them. I love that you talked about um, that Elevate creates a space for people to come and have these conversations for their voice to be heard so they can be empowered and move into um, spaces. It's something the work that our company does is try to go into organizations and create those spaces so women can have these conversations and feel that energy and vibe. So like you, like you say, they don't leave, but stay in the fight, you know, to help and pull up the next generation and, and the next people move forward. So, so absolutely love that. So, so I want to talk a little bit about like, how did you end up at Elevate? Like what was your kind of pathway um, before you became the CEO of this amazing community? Yeah, I have a, I have a, an interesting background, I would say. Um, so I've been with Elevate for 10 years. So it's been a while. It's been a minute. Uh, <laughs> but my background had nothing to do with any of this. Um, I am from El Salvador. So small little country. Grew up in a in a war zone. So that's for another podcast. <laughs> but I started me, my career in Mexico. So I I was there. I did I did my studies there and then started out in real estate banking, like you said at the beginning. Um, and what I was doing was giving financing for low-income housing developments in the north of Mexico. It's like niche as of niche, niche, you know? And <laughs> it, was a, it was a great experience. Uh, I loved it. And as I was thinking what was next for me, I came to New York for business school 
thinking I'm going to continue down this path. I'm going to continue going down the finance path. I'm going to go back to banking. This is what I want to do. I want to do it in a broader environment that's not as niche. So maybe I'll, you know, look at New York, stay here, do it there. I realized I did not like anything about the culture of banking in New York City. Mm. I did not really enjoy my experience um, networking and looking for a job. And to, and truth be told, banking didn't like me either. Like, realistically, <laughs> we were not a match. <laughs> but, you know, one has uh, those internalized ideas of what success looks like. And for me, that was that was always the case. Um, I tell this story pretty often. I was doing my last interview for an, a boutique investment bank in Mexico. And it was my last round. Always after that, I was going to go back. I was going to go to Mexico to meet the team in person because all of this was kind of on the phone. And before we hung out, the person on the other end, a dude, of course, um, asks me one one last question. Are you planning on getting married in the next two years? <laughs> and yes, that was that was I would I will say probably the question that um, just pivoted my life, honestly, because no, I wasn't, and I responded, no, 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 I'm, you know. But it, you know, the question behind that was like, are you getting pregnant anytime soon? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And my, and my, and it, of course it bothered me at this point, I had built a relationship with, um, Janet Hansen, who was the founder of back then 85 broads now elevate. Um, she was an alumni of the school I was at of Columbia and we had met and I had been helping her kind of on the side while I was in school, building a business plan for 85 broads, just because I thought it was a cool thing to do. And, you know, why not? Um, and so she had become kind of a mentor for me. And after my call, I like immediately was like, look, Janet, this thing happened. And she was like, so appalled by it, which kind of made me be like, I knew there was something wrong with it, but I, I, mm -hmm. I was so conditioned to this world, to this type of, of working way that I was like, I hadn't even thought it was that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. Um, that I think was a big eye opener for me. And thankfully, like I said, I had Janet on my corner who kind of pointed it out. And, um, after a while, you know, as I kept thinking what I was doing, the more, the more I went into this, the more I thought, you know what, I really want my time, my effort to matter, to be of, of impact in some way. So I had started to explore more of the social enterprise realm and what that could look like. And, and like I said, even when I was in banking, I was doing low income housing development. So there was something in it that I knew I needed to do more. And Janet needed someone to come help her kind of structure the business she had a very very small team and so she was like try it out come 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 here and try it out for a year or two see what you feel and yeah and that the rest is history right like I I I did I started off there um when I started off we were three people in a basement in Greenwich Connecticut wow uh, yeah it was it was interesting Janet had had larger teams in the past and the, the the company had kind of grown and shrank 
with honestly with a lot of the financial um crisis because it, it was very much tied to the finance industry at that point mm-hmm. and I uh I loved it I had a chance to build something and that's I mean something I'm very I love like I'm a huge puzzle person like how do we make this work and this was a a, a company that was for her a passion project it had been born of her wanting to support women mm-hmm. and it it I don't know. It, it was an interesting, an interesting um, transition for me to be working from uh, being, you know, the only woman in the room to being, you know, surrounded by women all the time. Yeah. And and yeah, and then she sold the company the next year, which was an an interesting transition. So I had to see this from. I, I got the opportunity to work with incredible people and go from being those three people to then going through a sale and having Sally Krawcheck take over the ownership of the business, which to me also was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of my heroes. And now I get to work with her. So of course I stayed yeah. and and see the business grow and build a team with whoever was coming in. Christy Wallace came in as CEO. Her and I are now really good friends, of course, and work together closely for about eight years and I had the chance to try out all different hats. So that was why I stuck around for 10 years, because I am a very curious person. And Elevate was a place for me to explore that curiosity. So I got to do, you know, learn about marketing, learn about uh, running a business, learn about strategy and figure out where I fit in. Uh, mm. without necessarily having to compromise and say like, this is my bucket. This is where I'm going to be. It was more mm-hmm. of almost a little bit of a playground and um, exper- like place where I could do some experiments, learn about management and people and people ops, which became one of my passions, both that and mm-hmm. marketing, honestly. And how do you build a company that will be sustainable? And so Throughout the years, I got to wear many hats. Um, and last year, uh, Chrissy decided to um, end her tenure at Elevate, and I got the chance to take this role. And why not? <laughs> yeah. What a story. That is, I mean, there's so much in that story. Mm-hmm. But but I think what is so heartwarming and powerful is that you have the opportunity to as you said, be curious, to be in a place that gave you the space to learn, grow, and develop. And 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 at the base of it all, I think what you said, you know, first of all, being in a place, I, I love, I, I often tell people when I talk about when I left, when I finally left my career and started, started my business, was that I told my boss, like, we need to break up. Like, it's not you, it's me, (laughs) right? And so that comes to mind when you were like, it just wasn't a good match. It was almost like, (laughs) you know, me and banking, you know, we tried, we gave it a good run, but you know, in the end, we just weren't meant to be. So it was (laughs) like, we had to break up, right? So I, I love that analogy, but I also love that you talked about you know, being internalized in this way of being and thinking, like even to the point that, you know, what the guy said was like a jerk or crazy, but not realizing at the level of, you know, discriminatory practice, really, as a former labor attorney, you know what that is. But then now coming into a place that allowed you to flourish, that allowed you to tap into 
you know, all of your interests and gave you a space, a safe space to really explore all that, right? And and where your values were aligned, right? Mm-hmm. So that now not only did you find a fit, but you're able to really grow and flourish in that relationship. And honestly, that's when I became a lawyer 30 years ago, when I even went to law school, it was all about that concept. It was all about the fact that we spend 90, 000, a third of our lives at our jobs. And in my mind, I'm like, it should be a place where we flourish and grow and can develop and, and, and enjoy because that's yeah. a big chunk of our lives. And so to have that opportunity is really so amazing. Um, and then to watch you, you know, kind of grow and develop in the country, in, in the company, which was, which is absolutely incredible. So there's a couple of things too that I wanted to just point out when you did talk about this kind of internalized idea. Do you find that a lot with the women that you work with is that they are just kind of indoctrinated in this way of thinking that there's no other opportunity, that they have to play it this way, um, that they've been so conditioned that even if they don't like the culture, they don't like where they're at, they think they have to kind of be there and pay their dues and play the game. I mean, do you find that a lot? And then how do you support them in helping them to kind of break out of that? Like you were able to do, or you were helped to be able to do with the mentors that you had um, to be able to step into what's possible. Yeah, that's a great question. I do. I I do see this a lot. And I will say, I, I see it in my personal life with my friends, um, which is very interesting. I see it at the people at with the people at Elevate um, in the community, I think we have, you know, been conditioned to think success means working really hard, making money and rinse and repeat, (laughs) you know, like Mm -hmm. kind of move, move up in a certain ladder and bring, be this idea of what a leader is. And let's be honest, when you think of leaders, it is, or when you think of leaders, when you think of CEOs, when you think of people who are leading businesses, it's usually a middle-aged cisgender heterosexual white man. Yes. Very patriarchy. Very embedded in the patriarchy. Or like, or like (laughs) someone I know likes to say pale, male, and stale. (laughs) I mean, exactly. That's what we see on the news, this is what we see in the magazines, this is what we grew up watching, is it was the business leaders that that they always give us to study and research. I I have to say this is one little commentary. It drives me crazy that every time people talk about any kind of research or or quotes or things you need to know, it's always quoting a white male as the expert. And I love that even in this, you start talking about, no, it was this woman, it was that woman and this trailblazer, right? We need more of that. So anyway. And that's and that's kind of where I was going. I do think that pe- that women we are still indoctrinated into this. Uh, this is the way we need to act in order for us to get to this definition of what success means. So that. So that what? So like, I don't even know what is the next. So that. You know, so that we can burn on leave and start thirty percent of our businesses like that's the end result, really. Yeah, and- and the reason I started with saying with my friends is because you're catching me at a at a at an interesting point. So I saw a friend of mine on Friday and she is, you know, someone I went to business school with, a white woman uh, in her late 30s uh, with a background in investment banking. Uh, and I had written an article 
uh, in my newsletter on Friday about, you know, it was the last day of Women's History Month. What if women were in charge? Like, what is my utopian vision of, you know, 2070 and we are finally at e like equality? And she said to me, yeah, you know, I'm not a feminist. Mm. Mm. And I was like, what? You know, explain that to me. Yeah. And her take was, I have never felt that I've been in um, in disadvantage because of my gender. I have never felt I have been paid less than men and or that, you know, men have it better than me. I'm not going to go into how that conversation went, but, but it was interesting to me to see how deeply indoctrinated we are that we can't even see just like I, at some point, like at that moment when I had that question uh, in that interview was like, mm, something's off, but I'm not really sure what what's off. Yeah. How we don't even see how we've been impacted. And granted, this is, you know, like I said, a privileged white person and the, the experiences are vastly different. So yeah. I have to acknowledge that. Yeah. But it is the idea of how are we not even realizing where we're being left out? And it's because, like you said, it's what we see externally. It's what we've been trained to see. It's how we've been conditioned to move forward. So when I, and like you mentioned, I kept talking about these women and these trailblazers and these mentors that have helped me. It's because that's how I think we can share and help others is by sharing the stories of people who have changed their definition of success, who have opened their eyes and said no more, who have come up and said, you know, you know, you might not realize that you are not in a position that you should be. Let me help you open your eyes and let me help you get out of there. Let me mm -hmm. help you come up. I think if we can't see the options of what the world can be for us, we're not going to ever get out of it. Like, I mm -hmm. never realized that, you know, success can be being just very proud of the work of creating an impact in one person's life, two person's lives, you know, Ugh, and that to that. me now is much more valuable than saying, oh, I'm making X amount of money. Yeah, I love that. And I think that is so key is how we define success. You know, it's one of the first things that, you know, when the, the, the clients that we work with is like, we want you to define it for yourself because it's been so externally defined and we've just indoctrinated that. Like you said, it's a title, it's an income, it's a status symbol, you know, there's no joy, there's no impact, there's no value. <laughs> like all of that seems to be removed because there's this external, which honestly, I think is a very male individualized siloed ideal of success, you know, competitive idea of success, as opposed to what it means for you as an individual. And I also think that, you know, people, you know, have this, we have, sometimes we have this very binary way of thinking about, well, I haven't, I've, I've gotten jobs, I've gotten promoted, people have helped me, I am a director or VP, so I haven't had any problems, you know, I, gender hasn't impacted me, race hasn't impacted me, because look at the trajectory that I've gone through in my career, 
And I think people need to stop thinking about it as that as it a it's not always a personal affront. It's a systemic societal conditioning that impacts you in sometimes very invisible and insidious ways that you don't even notice if your eyes aren't open. And so I think we have this kind of binary idea that it has to be some physical thing that makes you feel as if you've not been impacted, but you have been impacted whether you realize it or not. It's kind of like the air you breathe. You don't realize you're breathing it, but yet there it is. <laughs> yeah. And I want to say, I want to, I do want to say something when I talk about the definition of success. And I think that it's like you, I think it's the first where you have to start not saying I do. I did say, you know, I'm making impact. And that to me means more than making money. I'm not saying we shouldn't make money. Money is power. Oh, and we should absolutely be making money. Yes. And we should yes. absolutely be paying paid what we're worth. Um, it Where I'm going is what I guess partly what are you doing with that? You know, wherever you get to, which comes back to my conversation with my friend and what you're saying about, you know, systemically, there is an issue. There are many issues we need to solve. How are we then taking whatever success we have in whatever way possible and using it for improving where we are at, improving yeah. the world for other people? Um, and it's true. It is like the air you breathe. You don't think about it. Um, mm -hmm. There's the company Alaria, who I'm a big fan of, they do what they do is a measure inclusion. And I always like to remember how when they are talking about it, uh, they say, you know, in inclusion is 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 like having a, it's like a headache in a way like you don't think about it until you have a moment of exclusion. So you don't think about headaches until you have that pain. Yes. And yeah. so it's how do we actually bring it to a point where we're thinking about it in a way that's more proactive? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I love that. So, you know, so we talked about, um, you know, a little bit about, I think for, uh, from an individual perspective for women to really kind of get clear about what does success mean to them, like defining that, um, you know, thinking about um, maybe if they've been indoctrinated in ways of thinking, what are some other ways that maybe they can think about their career and how they show up in the world and the work that they want to do. And I love that you talked about, you know, you wanted to do something where you made an impact. And, you know, I there, there's been I think, you know, when we talk about this idea of success, there's also this idea of like, if you want to make an impact that equals poverty, right? That equals right. like, that's a social worker kind of thing. If you want to make a difference, then you have to leave money off the table. And and I agree with you. I think, you know, we live in a capitalist society, money makes the world go round. We need it to survive. I'm all about it, you know? So I definitely not want to say um, yeah. either not to do that. But I think, you know, to your point earlier, it's, it's how you define it. It's really what makes sense for you and the combination that makes sense for you. How do you talk about or support women who are at that struggle, who like, I want to do something that makes an impact. I want to do something where I feel like I'm leaving a legacy, um, but I feel like that's going to mean I'm going to have to compromise this other way of being and living. Like, how do you have that conversation when, you know, women talk to you about wanting to do that? Or even how did you talk to yourself when you were having that conversation? I mean, I'm sure real estate banking paid well. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was in Mexico, so let's not forget that. Um, for me, it was a very hard conversation to have with myself. 
And I like talking about that story, like about this topic in particular, because like I said before, I think we learn from stories. We learn from mm -hmm. seeing other people go through it with it. I had a really hard time. I had a really, really hard time with myself. And I was extremely unhappy for a while thinking I had completely failed. And I think the idea of changing your mindset from failure to self-awareness first, you know, it mm. starts there. The first mm -hmm. thing is getting to know yourself, the good, the bad, the ugly, the little, you know, parts of you that you might not want to face. I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of therapy. Everyone should be in therapy. Yes. <laughs> Ditto. Ditto. So I think that's a, that's, that was part of it. And like understanding that there is something more. And, and you know, I, I hate talking about values and purpose because those words get thrown out a lot without saying really much. But it goes back to values and purpose. It goes back to like what gets you fired up. And that's what I had to realize. I mm. had to be more aware of what were the things that bothered me? What were the things that really in my core made me be like, absolutely not. That's not, that's not okay. Because those were the things that were driving me. And I think that that's a conversation we have to honestly have with ourselves. Mm. So for me, I, I think I help, or I try to help when someone is thinking of this by asking those questions, asking, reminding people to ask your questions, what drives you? What gets you fired up? If there are two things that are very important to you, what are they? And mm. how would your life be different if those things were not present or if they were present in a more, much bigger way, what would you do? I think when we started talking about what Elevate does, it is about creating these spaces. And what I've seen, thankfully, is when you create this space where people come from different backgrounds and different perspectives and you re they really know it's a safe space where they can show up fully and authentically, these conversations start happening. And by seeing one person be honest in that way, it goes around. It starts becoming something that is much more um, normalized. And I think that that's, you know, partly why vulnerability and leadership is such an important thing. And because if you see leaders be vulnerable, see leaders talk about this, you can, again, do it yourself. Um, so that's how I how I started. And, and what I think is a lot of it is asking questions. My favorite question is why. So uh, my team always kind of laughs because every time I, I, I ask them, or they start telling me something about their lives. And I do think that as a leader, your first thing is coaching. Uh, you That's what you are. You're mm -hmm. coaching the rest of the people. And my question is always why? And the answer, and I ask again, why? And the answer, and I ask again, why? Um, but it's ask yourself why. Like ask yourself these, these hard-hitting questions that sometimes we don't want to see. Um, yeah. But that's, that's, that's a good way, good place to, to get started. Yeah. And questions we probably just haven't given ourselves permission to even ask, mm -hmm. you know, the time space or permission to even ask, you know, either because we're afraid of the answer <laughs> oh, yeah. or, or we just don't want to explore, but man, what could come out of that? The, the knowledge and, and, and self-awareness that could come out of that could be excessively powerful. 
now you talked about you 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 were touching on like leaders right in the workplace and a safe space in the workplace and i want to i want to kind of shift a little bit to talk about the workplace right and what what the workplace organizations could maybe start doing in support of you know women in these places right we've seen the mckinsey report ibm's report just came out um you know so much data right about what organizations could and should be doing around that and i would love to just get your take around you know, leaders' roles in ensuring that, you know, employees are feeling safe and creating that psychological safety in the workplace. You said my favorite phrase, psychological (laughs) safety. I think we don't talk about psychological safety enough. And that's the core of how you create a workplace where people feel like they can come in. And it's not, you're not just talking about diversity for diversity's sake, but for what it really can bring to the table. Mm. Yes, there's tons of data. There's tons of research on what is happening, how, why women are leaving the workforce, where are the problems. Um, God, last year, there was so much conversation about women losing their ambition. And it just made me so angry because that's nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, I'd say first organizations have to take a very hard look at themselves too and think, where are we? Are we doing things in a way, particularly when it comes to promotions, to visible project, um, like setting people into visible projects that will advance their career? Are we doing it equitably? And the reason why is because in the McKinsey report you mentioned, for example, the biggest place where we're losing women, it's when it's coming to management. Mm-hmm. It, that is it. That is where women are leaving. And the reason is because they're not being promoted. And mm-hmm. if we can't get them to a, another place, then of course they're going to leave. Like, of course we're going to leave. It's not, it, it, why would we stay? Mm-hmm. The other thing I think that is very important and that we don't, we say, okay, let's get more people promoted. Sure. Once you're there, then what? Organizations do not have enough support for managers, particularly first-time managers. Mm -hmm. I recently learned this and I've been repeating it because it was like, like blew my mind that the average year age for people to get promoted to management is around 35. The average age where people get management training is around 40. Oh, geez. (laughs) Right. It's a five-year gap. (laughs) What are you doing with those five years? People are just figuring it out on their own. And managers, in my opinion, are the people who have the most vital role when it comes to building psychological safety within an organization. Managers are the ones that set the culture. You Mm -hmm. can say whatever you want about leaders and, you know, the CEO has the commitment to inclusion. The CEO will not know the 8,000 people that work in an organization. Mm -hmm. What the CEO can do is make sure that that commitment goes to their direct reports and that those direct reports give it to that, their direct reports and so on and so forth. But Mm -hmm. culture is what happens, not necessarily what you say is happening. It -hmm. is what actually is happening within teams. It is actually how it's the company's values are being lived or not lived. And that is on the ground. So mm-hmm. that is where managers really need the support, the support to be not just, you know, how do you 
how do you work with people? And most people in the way that management is currently set, right? You are going to be promoted to manager based on your individual contributor results, which right. has nothing to do with being a manager. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with knowing how to make sure that your team feels safe, that they mm -hmm. can come as themselves, that they can put their ideas out there. So yeah. that's, I think that there is a huge opportunity for organizations to focus on that particular particular rung, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the things you think could really support managers in that effort? You know, because I think you're, you're completely right, right? The, the leaders set like the tone, the vision, they lay out the statement. And obviously, if they're not doing the work themselves, then a manager is like going to be like, whatever, another, that's just another Tuesday memo. Um, you know, so I mean, they definitely need to set the vision and start and doing the work themselves. But what are some of the things that you think they could do to really support managers, you know, to be accountable, to be supportive, to really help to create and change that culture? Because you're right, it's, it's, if they're not implementing the vision, or acting counterintuitive to the vision, then it means nothing collectively. Yeah. Like I said, training. And by training, I don't mean training on how to not micromanage. I've heard right. that from uh, from organizations like, but, but but our managers do have training. Like, I mean, training. How to give feedback. How to, yeah. How to give feedback, how to communicate in a way that's um, inclusive. That's a big thing. How to make mm -hmm. sure you're promoting inclusively and equitably and have measurement tied to all those things. Yes. Um, which is not necessarily how it works. Like performance evaluations are not necessarily tied to the more, I don't want to say soft, but the more EQ side of the spectrum. Um, I think leaders can definitely help managers by making sure that they know that they have power. I think that's another aspect that mm. we don't necessarily um, convey. I talk to a lot of people at Elevate and they are like, well, but I don't have any power. We all have power because we all have the way that we act, the way that we show up, and the way that we can, you know, sponsor or help someone else. That's power. And I think a lot of managers don't realize that they have that. They think that, you know, they're just doing the work and heads down. I think leaders can do a lot more to show that there's that there is that there is power there um so training making sure that you know that you have the power to set the tone um sponsoring managers that are doing the thing you know like making yeah. sure that there is visibility that creating psychological safety is important not yeah. just not just you know Oh, sure. Good. You're doing it. So I think about all the people that work that within companies that lead ERGs, for example, employee resource groups, and they're doing it on top of the regular job. They're not mm -hmm. going to be paid for it. Mm -hmm. At least make sure that they're being recognized in some way. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And tying performance and then, you know, their raises to that work, mm -hmm. letting them be not only recognized for it, but paid for it, you know, exactly. letting them be part of their performance standards. I think that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Such great, such great advice, such great tips. Love it. So I have a, another question for you. I'd love to get people's take on this. When you think of the term career rebel, like what does that mean to you? 
I love that. I love I love the name of your podcast so much because I think it is. Uh, I I don't know. I identify with it for sure. Um, I think it goes back to what we were talking about when it comes to success. I think being a career rebel is making sure that you are staying true to yourself when you are navigating your career, mm. not necessarily to whatever externally has been put in your mind, but what you and your heart of hearts really feel is right. I think mm. that's that that to me is being a career rebel, I think. Uh, love that. Love that. So any other final words or thoughts that you would love to share before we uh, close this out? Well, if you're feeling, you know, if your listeners are feeling like they they need a space to get to, if your company's not providing that, or even if it is and you just, you know, want to expand that, definitely check out Elevate. Uh, we're here for you. It's really, I mean, I'm biased, I'm sure, but it's really a great community with lots of smart people who also want to see a very different way of work. So join us, elevatenetwork.com. And uh, hopefully I'll see you there. I love it. I love it. And we'll definitely make sure we have all the link information in the show notes so that everyone can access that. Maricela, this has been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this conversation with us. I think it is so needed, so necessary, so powerful, so many insights. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> All right, Rebels. And there you have it. That's another episode of the podcast. This is going to be one you're going to want to put on replay because there's so many gems and nuggets that you're going to want to hear that can not only help you, but maybe some thoughts and strategies that you can even bring within your organization. And listen, stay tuned for some other amazing guests that we're having this season. And in the interim, have an amazingly rebellious week. And I'll see you soon. That's it for this week's episode. Hey, and if you're loving what you're learning, be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss another episode. Also, don't forget to read the show notes and grab the free resources mentioned so you can start implementing what you're learning right away. Finally, are you ready to unlock your potential and fearlessly go after the career and life you want? Then join me and a community of other high-achieving women in midlife, stepping into new levels of leadership, switching it up to do the meaningful and fulfilling work they're meant to do, and glowing up by creating the systems of freedom to achieve their dreams in Fearless, the Career Rebel Academy. You'll find the link in the show notes. Simply fill out the application, and together, we'll determine if this is the right fit for you. I can't wait to see you there.